Okay, we're now going to deal with the, with the, the topic that my, my colleagues assure you, assure them that it's not boring to them and it's very interesting, but I think for us we like to, we hear systems and we, we like to just switch off. Um, but we're not going to do that today. And I think it's a, re, um, it's a, it's a good topic, especially in the light of what's coming with it for 17 to, to not pass the buck. Um, and, and we're gonna be talking about admin system risk. Um, today's speakers are Mia Geringa, um, and Lucas Ehlers. Um, Mia is Solvco's um, founding director. Um, Solvco is a, a niche consulting firm that provides actuarial services, including system implementations, um, data, data reconstruction, and forensic analysis. Mia's career includes pensions, life insurance, and reinsurance experience. And she approached, back in 2017, approached the actual society to form the ASA Systems and Technology Committee, which is the, the two of the members are, are talking us, to us today. Um, another one of the members is, is Lucas. Um, he, uh, Lucas Ehlers is manager in the general insurance team in actuarial and uh, insurance solutions at Deloitte. Um, he's worked for um, seven, seven years experience in the health and short-term insurance sector. And prior to join, uh, joining Deloitte, he played the role um, of the head of pricing at a medium-sized short-term insurer for three years. Um, he's also done, apart from pricing, had a lot of experience in underwriting, product development, and analytics. Um, so I'm now going to hand over the floor. I'm not sure which one of you goes first. Um, but hand over the floor and to listen to your talk. Okay, thanks Tracy. So, Mia and I are here today to actually speak to you about, or actually challenge you about the role of actuaries and actuarial members in kind of the system development and implementation world, right? So a lot of us actually have some interaction with kind of systems in our day-to-day -day work. So this is guys typically working in pricing or product development. But the guys that are standing at the back, the guys that are doing the reserving, the valuations, the kind of capital calculations, and kind of the head of actuarial functions, we kind of stand a bit removed from it. We don't actually quite know what's going on in there. But at the end of the day, what we actually need to realize is out of these systems comes the one thing that all of us actually use, and that's data. So the question is then, how comfortable are we really with our data? Okay? And Specifically, how comfortable can we be with our data if we're not that comfortable with the process that this data is actually coming out of? And that's basically where the question of our presentation comes in, and that's can we actually pass the buck, right? So can we, as a member of the actuarial society, as a professional, say, look, I'm in the clear, like I've done nothing wrong. When we've done evaluation, uh, we did our little checks, and the insurer then suffers some operational catastrophe, right? Uh, you know, you didn't know half of the policies or anything like that were there. So can you say that you're in the clear? So specifically is, can you say you're in the clear? Where typically the checks that we do is we reconcile the amounts or the data that we have to previous valuations or previous sources of the data or probably just the financials. But the thing that we kind of often forget is we're comparing it to data that is generated out of the same process that we are using now. And that becomes a bit of a trick, trick because it might look fine on an overhead level, but once you start going into the details of what's in the data, is it might not actually be that fine. And it might actually be then a case of you can't see the trees for the forest. Okay, so that's basically what we want to explore today. So let's jump in. So 
let's kind of have two definitions here. So talking about systems and, and all the related components there is clearly operational risk. And it doesn't quite fit in that nicely with the definition of an actuary. So we as a profession at our core need risk and uncertainty. We are there to monitor it, measure it, and then advise people on how to make decisions surrounding uh, uncertain future events. Right? Operational risk is not quite that need to put into any one of those boxes. So we probably experience a bit of operational risk in our own kind of working. So in our own kind of valuations, we're exposed to key man risk. We're exposed to not actually having sufficient documentation that the wheels are fall off of the like valuation court at some point in time. But we don't really concern ourselves, unless you're in a risk function typically, with what is happening with respect to the operational risk in the rest of the company. Right? And that's also what we want to take you through today, is to say why operational risk is actually important and why systems and these processes are important. Because risk very rarely, rarely materializes one at a time. The dangerous risks are the ones that happen at the same time. It's a combination of operational risk, operational risk and other risks. Okay, so let's just quickly have a look at some of the examples of the risks or like operational failures and how that directly impacts the actuarial team. Okay. So we can start off with something small. And so I'm just going to put that little caveat here that I'm a short-term actuary. So all of this is hearsay for me. Uh, so please grill me very lightly in the questions. Or, you know, kind of, you can tell Giles of, I should never speak at a live thing again. So let's start with a small one, is incorrect fund allocations, right? Little, and it can happen so easily. but. There's one of two things that can happen. You actually pick it up before you actually started paying benefits, or you pick it up after you've paid benefits. If you pick it up before you pay benefits, that's apparently quite easy to fix. You kind of fix it on the system, you correct the allocation, and basically that little change in the data goes into your valuation process and then gets lost into this big actuarial washing machine, as somebody explained it to me. So you kind of lose what happened there. Uh, it's a bit more tricky once you've actually started decide you've actually decided to actually pay your benefits already. In which case, you actually now need to go find the policyholder again and incur those costs and then get some analyst or some consultant to actually go work out what was the correct amount that you needed to pay this client. And oftentimes these amounts actually work out to very small amounts. So you're paying about 1,000, 2,000 rand in an additional benefit at a cost of five to 10,000 rand per client. So. This whole thing gets a little bit more tricky once you've gone through a system migration and you kind of, whoever did the migration decided the policy history isn't that important to take with. Like we can leave it on the old system, we won't need it again. In this case, you don't actually know how that policy moved. So that's the one issue, but the other issue is also from a pricing and reserving point of view, you are stuffed, like completely and utterly screwed. Because you can't, if you don't have history, no, but that's the truth. Right? Uh, but if you don't have that history, the whole concept of exposure is gone. It's missing, never to be found again. And then you'll kind of have to wait a while and like your reinsurer will be happy because you know, they get a good, bit of good business to actually give you rates again until you can figure it out for yourself again. But this doesn't actually just happen in migrations or failed migrations. There are systems that are set up like this by guys that aren't actually aware of what actuaries actually need and what is involved with the prudential management of an insurance company. A lot of the short-term guys that I know of is the concept of policy history is foreign to them. And they actually now have to revamp their systems to actually get these kind of uh, functionality into the system again. So 
On the topic of migration, though, is, okay, we've lost a bit of policy history. It's not the end of the world. Like, reinsurers can help us out. But you do get the case of where you've lost policyholders in a migration, where you basically have a person phoning in and say, look, I need to make a claim, and then your call center agent saying, or your broker is like, sorry, not in the system, can't help you. So, yeah, okay, that causes a bit of an embarrassment, but you need to kind of fix that. Uh, but the bigger problem is your data isn't what it looked like before, okay? So you might have had fields that you used. These might not have been pulled over the way you wanted them to be pulled over. You might not be able to use any of that anymore. Uh, but also, like, once migration is done, we typically only get involved at a very late stage. We only get involved when we do the valuation for the mid-year or the year-end results again. By this point in time, it, it's actually quite too late to actually say, well, okay, you know what, I actually maybe needed to know how old the policyholder was before you guys decided to throw it away, okay? So these are kind of the big ones, but there's also the little smaller ones that, you know, you could accidentally not pay a benefit or still be paying benefits after the person has reached the maximum age. You could have actually had incorrect bonus allocations. You could have kind of had a bit of failed benefit or premium escalations, which might like have very small impacts, right? But None of these things would actually sink an insurance company because insurance companies sink for other reasons, right? Mostly. So the Financial Service Authority in the UK did a kind of deep dive on why insurance companies failed. They released a whole report in uh, December 2002. So it is a bit of an old report, but still the contents of it are still valid today. Uh, and the big thing that they found is most insurance companies actually failed because of management problems, right? They either found that the management were incompetent, not aware of how, like, the insurance industry actually works, that they had excessive risk appetites, that they uh, didn't have sufficient integrity, and then they also had undue pressure from, like, uh, parental bodies. So those are the, the four big reasons why management actually failed themselves. But it's usually not management on its own. It's usually management when they get faced by multiple risks and risks that occur at the same time. And the FSA specifically outlined the combination of operational and underwriting risk. And these two usually come into, like, as a package deal. So usually when there's some operational risk is the reaction is to kind of then start lowering your reserves to just kind of smooth over for the financial results. And in that, you start kind of underpricing because your financial reports are now kind of a bit better. And then your reserves start increasing again, and you go into the cycle. Okay? But we can also have a look at what the banking supervisors in the European economic area actually found in a similar kind of investigation that they did in 1998, where they also found that management was the root cause of all of the problems faced by banks in the EU during that point in time with operational risk being a significant risk factor. And they actually then outlined the specific scenario of where banks actually had very ambitious targets and were growing very aggressively, and their systems were lagging behind, and they weren't robust enough. Okay, so for me, is this is where it's important for us as a profession to not just only understand the underwriting component of risk, but we also need to understand the interaction between underwriting and operational as well. So that's where we actually need to be aware of what our systems can and can't do in terms of underwriting and how that kind of limitations on the system actually feeds back into the underwriting risk itself. Okay, so let's have a bit of a look at some of the case studies that we managed to find uh, of insurers having difficulties. 
So Fedsure didn't actually fail. And like here's another caveat for me is, again, short-term actuary. And also when all of this happened, I was still in primary school. So, so again, grill me lightly. Uh, but Fedsure ex experienced a bit of difficulty. So the reason why the FSB actually did an investigation in them and released the report in 2003 is just because they didn't meet policy all their expectations. They didn't fail. They were always solvent. Uh, Investec bought them on a going concern basis. But they just didn't meet policy all their expectations. And it is just due to poor financial performance that they actually passed on to their, their clients. But the big underlying thing here was it was a combination of management and systems that increased the risk for them. And the FSB actually then identified four of the big things, and that's the operational challenges of the Norwich takeover. So the deal itself wasn't actually challenged, but it's how that actually happened, is they couldn't integrate the systems. They couldn't get the IT teams to get onto the same page. Uh, and that put a tremendous strain on effort and just the management ability to actually deal with other problems. They had another further problems with uh, FedHealth and the TMA, and basically, FedHealth was also expanding too aggressively, and the systems couldn't cope, and that was also putting severe strain on the management. The curatorship of FBC and Samba, so this is basically where kind of their mismatched asset liability position actually came to be. Uh, they were heavily exposed in equities, and specifically equities in the financial market. And when the financial market crashed in about 1998 to 1999, is they couldn't get rid of the illiquid stock in Sambo and FBC, and we all know kind of what happened to Sambo during that process. Uh, but essentially the conclusion that the FSB came to is if the management and the systems were more robust, they would have been able to withstand this a bit better. Okay? So if we go into a short-term example that the FSA actually gave uh, in their report outlining why insurers fail is they basically talk about a short-term insurer that basically knew they couldn't do their own claims processing and then outsourced it to another party. And in that process, they actually didn't give proper instructions to that party on how to actually pay their claims or how to actually deal with their operations. So the result of this was the other party actually started paying, overpaying on claims and also delivered very poor levels of service, which actually led to the company actually losing business. And finally, actually giving them very delayed and garbled data. So they actually didn't have a good idea of what was actually happening in their business. So what they actually did is they're losing business, but they don't have a proper idea of what's actually happening in the claim space, so they think they're actually doing okay. So they dropped their price and attracted more business in at an underpriced level. Uh, their reserves were completely too low uh, because of this. And also when they eventually discovered the problem is they couldn't get the reserves up quick enough for the fear of actually making an, an, a proper loss. And also, finally, they actually uh, put a reinsurance program in place that was completely inappropriate for their business just because they didn't actually have the claims data to base their experience on. Okay, so this is also the cycle that happens, is you kind of start with an operational issue, it goes into the underwriting cycle, and then basically it just gets perpetuated and perpetuated and putting more strain onto your systems until everything falls over. So there's a couple of other examples that we also found. So Seymour Pierce, uh, it's technically a stockbroker, so not actually an insurer, but basically managed to 
suffer a £150,000 loss uh, due to fraudulent actions by an employee. But this is actually where I argue maybe we don't need to get involved in this area here. Like that's probably more in finance's realm. It's not to do with the risk components of the product. So we could probably skip this over. The next example, though, is a company, Towergate, that got fined. Uh, it was actually quite a light fine. It was, I think, £2 million. But they misallocated £12.6 million of their clients' funds. And due, it was completely due to shoddy systems, as the kind of article that I pulled this out of uh, mentioned. Uh, MSIC is a Japanese company that decided they wanted to branch out into Europe. Uh, they kind of seconded a resource there, and they were very kind of ambitious about this thing, but ultimately had to withdraw from the market just because they couldn't get an administration platform in place in a timely manner. Uh, AIG was heavily involved in the real estate crash in the mid-2000s, but what actually hurt them a lot is they actually had a significant key man risk in the business itself. So there was a guy going out and actually selling these credit default swaps, but they didn't have the systems to actually manage this risk or actually look after this risk. And when this guy actually left and they were starting to face the claims, everybody was clueless on what was happening there. And that was also a big contributor of them actually having the difficulty that they had during this time. Okay, so for me, is I hope I could have convinced you now why we actually need to get involved in this area. Probably not very hands-on, but we need to have an understanding of what's going on there. Because underwriting risk and operating risk are very linked. And you need to actually understand what when you actually suffer an operational uh, underwriting failure, what impact will that have on operating, and vice versa as well. So the reason actually why it's also important now, and just looking a bit to the future, is a lot of the companies that we're actually working for or working with will actually now be embarking on this tens of millions rands projects to implement new systems to just be IFRS 17 compliant or IFRS 17 ready. And there's the problem that they might actually not involve actuaries when doing this. So we need to make sure that these systems actually do what we want them to do, that we actually get out of these systems what we need to get out of the system. Otherwise, we'll be in a lot of trouble in 2020 and 2021. And then also, the FSB or the Prudential Authority actually has now thrown in a, a nice little sentence that an insurance actuarial function is responsible for evaluating and providing advice on the internal controls relevant to actuarial matters that's outlined in uh, paragraph 14 of, the, of GOI 3. So for me is, you know, how comfortable would the, the head of the actuarial function be with the data in there? And he specifically needs to make reference to any data reserves that are held if he doesn't quite understand how insufficient that data could be. Okay, so to talk to you about some of the potential problems in our journey forward, uh, Mia will now take it further. Thank you. Um, we thought it appropriate for me to start here by the problems. I think those who know me know I normally get called in with our problems. So from the stuff that we've seen, um, I don't think actuaries actually get involved, or there's very limited involvement when management decide on a system. So typically they won't normally involve an actuary in that decision. And we see that as a bit of a problem. I don't know, I don't know if we should be. I'm saying this is a bit of a, let's think about it. Also in this space, there is currently no governance body in IT. So that means that anything goes. So any person sitting here can actually decide, look, I want to develop a system and I'm going to implement it. If I know the right people, if I can sell it, I can do it. 
So there's nothing that sets a, minim sets a minimum standard. There is absolutely limited guarantee we've seen anything happen in this space. There's no timeline or penalties, and this is, this, is, this is a big one for me because some of the implementation projects take forever. There's no real accountability that falls to anybody in this space, and the amount of money that people throw at this is, is enormous. And the, I'm talking about the direct and the indirect cost. So sometimes you would actually throw more people on it, and it actually takes longer, and it eats up a lot of your resources, and it, it just becomes a big problem. And there's nobody that actually takes full responsibility for that. The development can happen without any insurance knowledge. So in this space, you can also have people with no insurance knowledge develop a system get into this space, actually say, yes, we can take your life, and you need to explain to them, for example, what is a clawback. So those kind of things, I think, are, are problems in our area. I've seen some audit processes in systems, but a lot of it is focused on, can somebody steal the money? So it's very focused on, if somebody claims, can they pay out themselves? So there is a little bit in the audit space where they actually audit a system, but it's not as focused that I think we would have liked it to be. So how do, we, how do we bridge this gap? So from our side, we feel there's the actuarial profession and there is the information technology sector. And there's definitely, definitely an overlap. We call it the gray area, and that's what we want to talk to you about today. So what happens in the gray area? Sorry, I had lots of animations on this. <laughs> Just one slide. So in the, red, in the red blocks, I think this is where we are comfortable. We are happy in the red blocks. We have our set standards. We have studied in this area. We know what to expect. If we start on the one side, this is the requirements. Let's, let's talk about product development. If there comes a requirement from the market, it goes into the space, actuarial will price it. You are actually very comfortable here. It goes to finance, operations, but then after that, this, it goes into what we call the gray block. So this gray area, Anything goes. So I'm saying they're a business analyst, but it, they might not be a business analyst. So there's no rules here. We hope you have a business analyst after you've done the pricing, because the business analyst will typically translate this information to the developer. You hope that the business analyst actually puts together a document. This person doesn't have to, but you hope it happens. You hope that this person speaks to the developer. You hope that the developer doesn't talk directly to actuarial, which also happens. Sometimes they can actually then decide, oh no, this product feature doesn't work, or maybe it doesn't, let's change it. And you can imagine if something like that happens, there's no documentation. So you hope that it actually flows through the process with the business analyst and that you actually have updated documentation. You hope that the developer will send it to the testers. You actually hope there's a testing team. So you're hoping there's a testing team. You hope that the testing team actually has a set test pack, and they actually test the product rules that you've put up. So you can imagine if there's no product spec, if something happened directly between the developer and actuarial, you hope that the testers will know what to test. You hope that the testers will communicate back to development if there are any problems, and you hope that they actually test it through. You hope that the testers were busy testing in a test environment and that they only deploy it live once everybody is happy or somebody has signed off, maybe it's you, maybe it's somebody else in your department. After it goes live, you might actually find that the intermediaries are not happy. So you hope at this point that it actually goes back to the BA, who would then keep track of it again. 
Because once it goes into that loop and corporate actuarial actually gets their data from the live system, you hope that the specs are updated so that you understand the data that you're getting to actually use for your reserves. So we can only hope that everything happens in the gray area correctly as opposed to what we actually, what we thought is happening is actually happening. Because you can, you can see, everybody gets the same data. This kind of flow happens, we can take a migration also. You hope that there are actually business analysts involved in the migration. You hope that the developers actually understand what needs to happen with the migration and by the time you get the data, that you actually get the data that you think you're getting. So at the moment, like I said, there's absolutely no rules and regulations happening in the gray area except for what you have in your company as internal controls. There are some actuarial people which we found working in the gray space. I'm one of them. So I'm saying we know that this is happening. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is if you know that anything happens in this gray area, anything can happen, how comfortable are you with the data that you're getting? And the head of actuarial, how comfortable are you with the results that you are getting based on this information? And this gets us to the system committee. The system committee we started last year. First and foremost, we want to create awareness of this issue. So we know we need to be involved in some extent, but we don't know how much. So this, we're taking this forum just to create awareness. So this problem exists. There is a massive risk involved in this, as you can see. We want to also provide assistance, assistance to the actual actuarial people working in the gray area because we find there's quite a lot of them. A lot of people actually like the space. A lot of people like to be involved in the development. A lot of people actually want to work in that space and we need to give them some guidance. So that's also what we try and do. Ultimately, we want to try and protect the, the, the reputation of the profession because this thing, is, it can actually... It, the risk is very big. So we want to, at some, some way, try and protect it by either coming up with guidance notes in this area, anything that will assist the risk. We want to make sure that the actuary working in the space and the actuary getting the data understands the responsibilities, the what is your responsibility and what's not your responsibility, what should internal audit do, what shouldn't they do, what, what is actually your responsibility. We want to with this ensure that the data is actually appropriate, that the data that you're getting is actually what you want. And the aim of the committee is not in any way to be prescriptive, so we don't want to tell people what to do in any way, and we're not saying that actuaries should now get involved in testing, but we're asking the question, shouldn't we? Shouldn't there be some kind of a testing involved? The main areas that we are focusing at the moment is particularly the role of the actuary when it comes to migration and system design. We are continually disagreeing on that point. Shouldn't an actuary be involved? Shouldn't he be involved? Shouldn't he at least understand the architecture of the, of the system to know that if you develop a product that the system can handle it or not? Because if the system can't handle the product you're developing, you're adding a massive cost to the company. So we're saying, shouldn't there be a little bit of knowledge in that area? Shouldn't the actuary be involved in migrations? and how, in, how much involvement should there be. What should the actuary's role be when it comes to testing? So we're not saying everybody should test, but our feeling is there should be some kind of a sign-off, some kind of a, if you are busy developing a product, then at least set up the test cases, or at least set up a test pack, or at least sign off that, yes, it is working the way I, I want it to work. 
because whose responsibility is that if it's not ours? We want to make sure that everybody understands the responsibility when signing something off. And I found that if you're sitting at your desk, somebody might dump something on you, sign it off. And what does that mean? Any system issues that you need to sign off, what responsibilities are you taking when you are signing something off? Because I'm sure a lot of you actually have signed off stuff already. So what is your responsibility when you're signing off? And then we want to end with the two definitions again. I know this is a bit of a gray area and that is a bit, should we be involved or not? But shouldn't we? Isn't there something that we as a profession should be doing? And thank you. Then we want to ask that you please don't ignore the, our emails. We, we want to send out surveys. We really want to, uh, we, we're busy documenting as much as we can because everything, everybody on the committee is putting in a lot of hours just in, just in terms of the things that we know that we've learned. So we want to actually take it to the profession. So we don't have to all learn on the job. Why can't we give you a guidance note? You don't also have to learn it on the job. So please help us with that information. If we ask you to please get involved, don't ignore the emails. Please answer the surveys. We will be doing some of those. And if you want to attend the meeting, sorry, we are quite busy. So we do meet once a month, but you don't have to also. So you can also just send us a, a, your ideas. So any involvement will be really appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, Mia and you, Lucas. Um, questions? Yeah, you can see data is a very hot topic. <laughs> um, just one, one from my side. I think what would you, we were all coming up, we had an earlier session on, on EFRA 17 and everyone who, who was in, sat here in that time know it's very close to my heart and what I do every day. Um, but how would you, what would your ideal be and how would you see the actuaries being involved in the EFRA 17? There's massive data involvement right from policy administration systems to accounting systems. Do you have ideas of what, what would that look like and where do you see um, the actuaries really getting involved? Yeesh. Okay. Sorry, big question. <laughs> I've got 10 minutes to fill. Yeah, so <laughs> I guess that's a very tricky question. Is Andrew? <laughs> um, no, but for me, is, it's actually, it's, it's probably to give a very generic answer, is to, it's where an actuary should fit in with any kind of big system development process, whether it's with product development and kind of uh, pricing or anything like that. And it's really to think about what you want at the end of it. And you need to make sure that we don't need to quite care about what's in the middle, but do we know what we're getting at the end of it? And do we know what we're getting at the end of it is right? So it's, you probably don't need to get involved in whether they're deciding to use SQL or Oracle or anything like that, but you need to know what you want. So it does take a bit of work from you as kind of the person doing the work to think about what you will want in three years' time and to make sure that you know what you want and you make sure that your business knows what you actually want. Because if you're silent through the whole process, is you have nobody to kind of kick but yourself when this thing actually goes live and it doesn't do what you wanted to do or you can't actually have do what you used to do. So it's just to make sure that you actually get involved when they're actually developing the product specs or they're, when they're writing down the requires, requirements. Make sure that your requirements are in there as well uh, and your requirements are actually clearly defined. So don't, and that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned is don't try and kind of say how things should happen but just be demanding on I, this is what needs to happen mm -hmm. for me. That's probably my biggest suggestion. Mia, you have anything to add? 
Yes, can I also answer that one? From my side, um, I think we, we do need to think about it a little bit more because a lot of things that we're seeing, it's sort of hinging towards, yes, actuaries need to take responsibility, they need to get involved, they need to do. But there's no clear definition in terms of, yes, this is actually your responsibility. So, and, and, and constantly in the committee we are saying, yes, but should we get involved there? We don't think so, that's too technical. We must just oversee it, and that, like Lucas says, just make sure that what you're getting out is what you actually want. Mm -hmm. But also think about it a little bit further, because a lot of the things that we see is very short-sighted, so people think, oh, I'm going to solve my problem today, but they actually create a much bigger problem five years down the line when they actually try and add a new product to the system. So you actually have to think a little bit further and almost know what you don't know. So you know you're not an expert in this area, but then speak to people. And actually we had, a, we had somebody in the committee say, yeah, but now you're saying to somebody, get actually off your, your chair and go speak to somebody in IT. And we're saying, yes, that should happen. You can't actually sit in isolation when you, when you do any of this kind of work. You should have some knowledge how much we don't know, and that's what we're trying to understand, but there should be some kind of an understanding in this area. Thank you. Uh, Paul, you had a question? Yeah, I, um, I tend to perhaps disagree a little bit with not know, needing to know how the engine works. Dars um, and I had an experience very long ago where we thought what we were getting out as laps statistics out of the back end was what we needed, and until we realized that there was something wrong inside the, ops, the admin operation that wasn't actually determining the right level of lapses. And uh, it was, you know, like your short-term insurance company getting the wrong claims data, you start uh, making the wrong um, assumptions and you can be in trouble. And then the other thing, that picture you, you drew me of, uh, you know, actually deciding the product and hope there's somebody, a business analyst, that doesn't resonate with my experience of product actually. That lot in the middle was what drove it. And I was just asked to put in the product specs and the, actually the other end was asked to put in what he wanted. And there was no way that we could possibly have implemented the product as an actuary on the system without going through that very thorough um, mechanism. So, you know, I'm not sure which companies you have been dealing with. I would imagine all the big companies would never allow a product actually to actually, actually put it onto the computer himself. And then my question really is, you know, this is the old-fashioned way of doing things, the new agile way of doing things where it's all very much quick, iterative, you know, uh, SWAT teams and all the rest of it. You know, how do we get involved in that? Do we even understand what Agile means as an actuary? Thank you. Can I answer that one first? Um, my business has been in, I've been in business 11 years, and I wouldn't have been in business if, if that was the case, that everybody had actually the rules that they were doing and everything was working. So, yes, I've actually been involved in quite a lot of this, uh, hence the slide. It would be nice. It would be nice. I've seen product specs that are outdated 20 years. I've seen uh, data missing from migrations. I've seen, uh, yes, history lost. I've seen, uh, uh, there's, there's a lot going on. It does come down, I think, to, yes, internal controls, the company that you work with and what they have in place. But I do think that the actuary should, should understand that. So if you don't have it, then at least understand what's going on. I think maybe there's just a little bit of a cowboy thing going on there in the gray area at the moment. A lot of people like it, a lot of people want to get involved. So maybe it's just changing at the moment. Yeah. So I don't know if it's technology also that's, that's actually driving it. So, yes. so what often also happens is you kind of get into this development cycle. So you say, okay, this is the product that I want to launch. 
And you go, and this is basically where it comes with Agile. It's like, okay, well, what's the most important? And then we'll do that. And then you'll kind of build around that. And the thing is, when that product goes to market, all of the functionality might not necessarily be there. But for us, it's kind of not to say, you know, you need to make sure that it's there before it goes to market, but you at least need to stay understand what is there and what is not there. So if you know the lapse mechanism is probably not working the way it should work, that it hasn't been tested or it hasn't been kind of gone through a just kind of sign-off process, that's something that you might need to go pay a bit more attention to. Um, sorry, can I just answer the, the question on Agile? Mm -hmm. I think you, you either like Agile or you don't. I'm not going to say what my preference is. There's also now DevSop and everything's changing. But I've been, I, I actually once sat in a meeting where the developer was literally developing as the actuary was talking. And there were no specs, and that project took five years. So it, I, I think there needs to be some kind, of, some kind of a documentation needs to happen from that process. But yes, do we understand Agile? It's working in some places. I definitely think it has a place, and I think, we, I mean, I think it's working for some. Any other questions? Uh, we have one here in front. Or actually, two here in front. <laughs> Um, thank you. So as a product, actually, I, I'm very involved, I guess, with implementations. And I guess what I've also learned is that a big area of risk is if, if there is misunderstanding yes. between the product area and the, the IT system about how, um, about how things will exa exactly pan out. For example, let's take a complex aspect like reinsurance premiums. Um, so then just, I, I guess, on the aspect of Agile, what we've also learned, um, I'm also a big believer in good functional specs from taking the actuary's product spec and converting that into a functional spec. And I guess what we have, you must be careful with Agile not to um, write good specs. Agile doesn't mean not writing good quality specs because if you, if you just see the product management issues you sit with 15 years down the line and things were not specced, um, you, you will sit with lots of trouble. And I guess just on the system design, um, I guess it's just very important so actuaries don't traditionally get involved with system design and architecture and so on, but I guess we, we have a real interest in how the customer, for example, experiences claims. And if your system design doesn't um, support what your vision for what the business must run like, for example, if you want to pay claims quickly and your system calls different programs 50 times to pay one claim, you are not going to be able to pay claims quickly. So I guess it's just very important that your vision for how the business must work must translate into how the system is designed ultimately, even though you might not be involved with the nitty-gritty of how the system works. Thank you. John? Um, I, th I think uh, one thing that's quite interesting is we're talking as if it's the system, one enormous system. I think one of the interesting things about life companies is they do have lots of mini-systems uh, associated with them. Um, and uh, maybe uh, I'm interested in what, what you think the uh, um, problematical mini-systems are. Uh, I would mention two. 
unit pricing systems. Um, uh, I think, I, I'm not sure I know of any insurance company in South Africa that runs a unit-linked uh, business that, that hasn't had a problem. And uh, loan systems, um, uh, particularly connecting any loan system with your surrender value calculations. Um, have you got any other ones on your hit list? <laughs> <laughs> Mini system problems. Uh, quote systems can actually also be a big problem. Um, we actually had a case recently where we didn't understand how the product worked and I said to the guys in the office, okay, we'll go on the website and pull quotes and see what it looks like. And it turned out the website was outdated. But we actually got physical quotes. So I think that, that to me is also a problem. I think also the issue with brokers coming in a bit later, also like you mentioned, you, there's certain things that you want to take to market, certain things that you want to to happen quickly, and sometimes they get, in, get involved too late in the process, so that actually also delays, delays the process. But you're right, Charles, there are lots of mini-systems mini systems happening. I think, and, and I agree with you, there isn't just one system, but I think it is important to note that we can't just, from a flat data file, understand if the escalations are going to work next year. So we just, and should we be comfortable that the escalations are going to work? So, so this, is, this is a a little bit of a gray area I know and we're just trying to come up with some kind of a some kind of a where should we fit in or should we at all but yes this, this, I agree with you there's lots of little system Reinsur you see there's so many reinsurance also I think a lot of people still run their reinsurance on Excel and it's just it just doesn't work we've seen funeral systems run on, on access and then it's a complete Fu full funeral system. So, <laughs> yes, laughs, yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I think data is very much a, a challenge. I, I think for us as actuaries, it's just starting to just raise the questions and don't just accept the status quo, but actually get butt in and get, get your head stuck in. So if you are called to sign off um, at the end of the day that you are, you are happy with, with what things are going to look like, you've at least had a say, um, even if maybe they didn't listen to you um, and you didn't get a, much of a voice, but at least you've, you've been able to lay your head down that you did what you felt you could do. So yeah, thank you very much, Mia and, and Luke. We're now going to have a... 15-minute break, so if you can be back at quarter past, um, quarter past three here in this venue um, for the next session. Thanks very much. Tea served outside.